All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fucksters? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. We're in it. Man, It. I'll tell you, the other day, I fucking, I went down. It took a while, but I went down. I just uh, got submerged in a hopelessness, in a lack of will, in a uh, dis- inability to uh, sway my brain for a while, man, for a while. Then I went back into, I uh, went from there to anger, and then from there to a sort of uh, strange but uh, ever-present PTSD that's uh, kind of been there since 2016. It was a rough day. It was one of those days, man, where you just sort of, I've had enough of this staying indoors shit. I don't have a problem not going outside, but the fear and the sort of mundanity and uh, and sort of everything was just starting to kind of creep in and dismantle any sort of ability I had to be present and just deal. And then Wisconsin happened, and that that tipped me over, man. That tipped me over. State Supreme Court, then the uh, big Supreme Court, would not allow them to delay the election because of the pandemic, but it also just strangely suited the Republican legislature's desire to have as few people voting against their picks for the Supreme Court and other positions as possible. It was just one of those moments where you're like, here's a portal into the future authoritarian stylings of America. I I think that America's authoritarianism is going to be unique to America as it is anywhere else, depending on the leader in the country. But on top of trying to do the right thing, being safe, taking myself out of circulation to protect myself and others, and just honoring that cautiousness, I live in a state where this fucking bug doesn't have a foothold as bad as other places because we've got a good governor here and a good mayor here, real leaders, did the right thing early on. And it's starting to look like it's having an effect in a positive way. And then you've got people spinning this thing as some sort of anti-democratic plot on behalf of socialists or the Chinese or looking for blame, looking to spin it to blame Democrats or whatever. Unbelievable, shallow stupidity. God forbid we err on the side of caution when thousands of people are dying from a disease we don't quite understand yet. Self-actualization plus confidence does not equal intelligence. All these sort of seemingly people who present themselves as uh, strong people, strong-willed people, people who you know, really see through the bullshit are the biggest suckers in the world, and they love conspiracy theories because they can't afford to be afraid or vulnerable. So they pick whatever suits their anger and whatever has closure in a way where there's blame placed on somebody other than themselves or the people they believe in. And they just go for it, man. Sell that shit. I wish these dumb motherfuckers would stop doubling down on bullshit. Control freaks and people that can't accept powerlessness on any level will gravitate towards any sort of validating garbage that makes themselves... You'll feel like they got a handle on shit. And there's someone to point a finger at. Not the time to do that, but maybe it doesn't fucking matter. 
And then I fucking find out that John Prine dies. John Prine was one of the most beautiful artistic spirits this country ever manifested. The real deal, man. He was the real deal. Just a great songwriter and earnest singer that just was able to find the heart and the humor and even the darkest of human stories through through song, through music. He's just a fucking genius. And it wasn't all dark. What isn't dark, really? You know, the, the, the celebration of the mundane, it's a poetic pursuit, but, you know, if you tip it one way, it's going to get dark. And a lot of the portraits of people in his songs were struggling people, people who had hard times. But it was, for me, you know, getting to the heart and the humor of darkness. That's why, that's why I love comedy, and that's why I love John Prine. And he was, uh, had some health troubles over the years, not too long ago, cancer, some heart problems, and he got this coronavirus thing, and it did him in. He was 73. Should have lived longer, could have lived longer. Now, is there somebody to blame for this disease? Is there somebody to blame for the infection No, a disease is a disease. Is there somebody to blame for the mismanagement of the response? Most definitely. Most definitely. Right at the top, baby. But I don't want to cloud an obituary with politics. I just want to say that I love John Prine. I loved his music. I had one of the best conversations with him that I've ever had on an episode of this show. And I reposted that. I I find no, I I hate having to repost episodes because of that. But I love having the episodes to put back out into the world as a memorial to the person that passed. John Prime was doing beautiful music up until just a year ago or two. Still touring. His last record was beautiful. Aging with his craft and with his heart. It's a tough one, man. This guy, a fucking American original, I'll tell you that, man. If you're curious about him, you don't know John Prine, check out his music. Go listen to that episode. It was a gift. It was a gift to me that I can now give back to you. Uh, Rest in peace, John Prine. So, Fran Drescher is on the show today. I don't know if I brought that up. I got kind of carried away there. But Fran Drescher is with us. Fran Drescher, of course, who was the the nanny, a very influential show on many people a little younger than me. She's on an NBC sitcom uh, called Indebted, which airs Thursday at 9.30, 8.30 Central. She was in Spinal Tap. She was in uh, Saturday Night Fever. She was in the Hollywood Nights. She's sort of an archetype, an archetype of sorts, an archetype that I'm familiar with. I think I had an apprehension about having Fran on because there's a, you know, that something I grew up with, uh, the cousins from Long Island, you know. It's a Jewish thing. It's a it's sort of a, a, a kind of slightly aggressive Semitic charm fortress 
you come up against that, but it's not it's not a bad thing. I have got cousins like that. I dated a woman like that, and Fran reminded me of those people. I did have a I did date a woman that was a that reminded me a lot of Fran, and my my uh, memories are not great of that. They're they're not a, they're not great memories. So I had a slight PTSD heading into it, but mild, you know, mild. But I I've always sort of. Uh, had a crush on Fran Drescher. I always liked Fran Drescher. I always thought I understood Fran Drescher, but I didn't know her at all. And I'm not sure I do understand her, but I did talk to her today. Today, you can hear me talk to Fran Drescher. So what else is happening here at the house? Uh, really, I did want to give you a heads up. There are people who are in my orbit who are making masks. Uh, I don't know what state you know, you're know you in or what's going on there. Um, but we got to wear masks here and, um, there's a couple of places that are making masks. Like my, my friends over at love jewels, leather are doing a night. They sent, these are people that sent me masks. These are not paid promotion, but I know they're manufacturing them and love jewels, leather, uh, also uh, has made available a, a, um, pattern, a template, uh, through which and instructions to make your own mask, but you can find them on Instagram at Love Jewels, J U L E S, Leather, L E A T H R, L O V E J U L E S, L E A T H R. That was uh, one, they sent me a mask and it's very nice. But then there's another crew out there making masks, Headley and Bennett. They, they made a lovely mask. And uh, it's a denim mask. Uh, these are, I guess you could call them hipster face masks, but wasn't that bound to happen? You can see the uh, Headley and Bennett uh, masks if you go to Headley and Bennett, H-E-D-L-E-Y and B-E-N-N-E-T-T at Instagram. So there's a couple of options. If you want to make your own, cut a shirt up, use a bandana, whatever, it's now sort of become uh, understood that... Uh, Having something's better than nothing. Some things are better than others. All right? But there's a couple mask options for you. Uh, and you can find out where they're they're donating in terms of charity and what they're doing to help out because both of those companies are doing things to help out. I uh, have to take my cat to the fucking vet and I'm losing my mind. It's been two days, man. And, you know, we were told here in L.A., if you if even even if for even if it's essential, try not to go out. And that's not stopping me. It's just fucking monkey, man. It's fucking monkey. I can't fucking deal with the process of taking these cats to the vet. He's an old ass, skinny ass man. Monkey is. He's got hyperthyroid. I give him pills for that. Not a problem. But now he's got this asthma trip going on. And I guess I get, I get I got him a steroid shot a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago. I'm not sure how long it's been, but he's clearly needs another one. He's having a hard time breathing. Now, I wish I would have told you this story after I went. I'd like to have that story, but I don't have that story yet. I do not. Yesterday, I tried to get monkey and it got a little violent. I didn't time it right. I didn't have I didn't have the confidence that you need. I've talked about this before. When you got to get a certain type of cat into a fucking box, you better have it visualized all the way through and you got to be in it when you start it and you got to make it happen. You have to will it into reality getting that fucking cat in a box. And I was wishy-washy. I was I didn't know if I wanted to go. I didn't know if I could get him and I fucked up once 
And then I decided later that like, I'm going to try again. And then it got just horrible. Poor old guy. I think I blew out his fucking energy for the day. Literally acted like I was going to fucking kill him. I've had this cat almost 16 years. Doesn't matter. Still thinks at any, any second that I'll fucking kill him. That he's got to fight for his life against me because clearly I'm out to kill him. Now, if you really think about it, they're not wrong because eventually you're probably going to have to kill him, right? You're going to have to kill your cat because they live too long and they don't know when to die. And I've said that before. I know it's a little callous and it's not the greatest way to put it, but you do it with love and you do it with um, a full heart. But this was not the day. Today, I wanted to bring him into the vet, which is already, this is a whole other thing I got to deal with, a new uh, plague time experience where you drive, I got to drive up to the vet, call, go around back, hand off the cat, and then wait for him to come back out. That's how it's going to go. I got to make this happen. It's going to happen today. I don't know if I told you I watched uh, all of Unorthodox, which I thought was beautiful. It gave me a deeper understanding of ultra-Orthodox Jews uh, who I've mocked in my past. And I've gotten flack for it from uh, non-Orthodox Jews who said, uh, hey, no anti-Semitism allowed at all, especially not from us. Why pile on when they're piling on us? Okay, but I learned a lot. I learned uh, learned some things. It was a beautifully uh, empathetic four-part series about a woman who escapes Williamsburg and the um, ultra-Orthodox community there. I recommend it. Watched The Stranger the other night. That's uh, Orson Welles plays a Nazi hiding in Connecticut and as, as deep into what America's made of as possible. It's a pretty menacing, beautifully cut, beautifully paced movie. Hadn't seen that in a while. I guess we're doing a kind of Nazi and Jew theme over here listening to a lot of music, listening to uh, listening to the Stones' Aftermath all the way through the other day. Forgot what a great record that was. Listened to her Satanic Majesty's uh, request, uh, the Psychedelic Stones record. Not a great record, actually. A lot of uh, very exploratory, we're not the Beatles, though we'll try on this record uh, type of stuff. Not knocking the Stones, but you know, you don't know every Stones song. There's a lot of Stone songs you don't know, but you know every Beatles song, right? And I'm sort of a Stones guy, but I'm willing to say that. Okay, you guys, um, let's. I'm going to talk to Fran Drescher now, and you're going to listen if you'd like. I enjoy talking to her. I find her very charming and uh, lovely. And uh, as I said before, she's on the new NBC show, Indebted. This is me and Fran Drescher. <laughs> Look at you, you've got all your... Oh, incense? Incense, yeah. You do incense? You know, I I have them. Yeah. I like a diffuser <laughs> better. Yeah, because, yeah. The you thing you, what, you, you plug into the plug? Yes, you plug it in, you put in essential oils. Yeah, and then it organic, goes. Organic, of course. Yeah, of course. And then it goes, and I... Uh-huh. I, I I have more control over the smell. I can right. mix and blend. Nice. Lately, I've been doing some peppermint because, you know, that's mm-hmm. a um, antibacterial. Calming? Really? Yes. 
Huh, I'm drinking peppermint tea right now. Oh, that's lovely. That's good for digestion. Is it? Yeah. So I had, <laughs> have you been doing a lot of research on this, Fran? Yeah, how, how long know, I'm a health activist and a cancer survivor. So you got to. I'm the founder of the Cancer Schmancer Movement. Right, I remember, so, yeah. So, you know, I kind of walk the talk. Yeah. So I'm what, really uh, good. If ever you need, yeah. Any well, I mean, answers. what? But what is that though? Like when you, which kind of cancer did you have? I had uterine cancer, which yeah. was a terrible, slow-growing uh-huh. female cancer. Right. But it took me two years and eight doctors to get a proper diagnosis. So it was growing during that time, knowing it, that you didn't get a diagnosis. I went misdiagnosed, mm. and I then I. What was the misdiagnosis? Like cysts? Perimenopause. Oh. so Because most women that get uterine cancer are either postmenopausal or obese, and I was neither. But yet 25% of women who do get it, which is one in four, are young and thin. Huh. So why not just rule out with a simple in-office endometrial biopsy whether this could be that. As opposed to just dismissing you. Exactly. I say, this lady's uh, getting older. <laughs> right, She's exactly. having old lady She's problems. at the right age for that. But doctors are bludgeoned to go the least expensive route of diagnostic testing. Yeah, and also they, you know, they they don't know everything. They, you know, that they, no, they, they can't they, turn they can't your doctor into a deity. They, yeah, they can't. That's a mistake. I grew up with a doctor. Oh, uh, my bet. dad was an orthopedic, so it was a little more definitive. Uh huh. But really, the, their ability to connect symptoms is it, it. It's not. It's. It's all. It's a hit or miss thing. And you don't know if the doctor that you're seeing is a great diagnostician. No, because you're usually just going for the regular checkups. Right, and they're just sort of like, well, take a medicine, see if it goes away. <laughs> yeah. Try this. Yeah, they all subscribe to the philosophy. If you hear hooves galloping, yeah, don't look for zebra. It's probably a horse. Yeah, yeah. But or, if you happen to be a zebra like me, uh huh, you're screwed. Right. And lately, though, I've, I've I've met a lot of very practical doctors, or just sort of like, I don't know what that is. Let's see if we can figure it out. That's good. Well, that is good. That is good. So what was the treatment now that led you to... Uh, I had to get a radical hysterectomy, ultimately. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's a difficult surgery for any woman, but for one who had never had children like myself, it's a particularly bitter pill to swallow. How old were you? I was 42 when mm. I was ultimately diagnosed. Were you planning on having children? I had just met someone that kind of made me realize what other women were talking about when they say, I want to have his baby. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I'd never felt that before. I was Uh driven to have a career. This was after your husband? This was after my first husband. Now, my gay ex-husband. Yes. Whom I love dearly. Not gay during the marriage. No. But he was beginning to... Show signs? Reconcile that he (laughs) was... Yeah. Uh, maybe bisexual, but mm. never acted on it. Yeah. Loved our life. Yeah. And loved me. And yeah. We were active sexually. Yeah. So um, he was upset when I busted up the act. Yeah. And kind of stopped talking to me. And then when I got the cancer, one of the silver linings yeah. was that... In that moment, he burst into tears when he was told, and all of his anger melted mm-hmm. away, and all that was left was the love. And then I wanted to write a book yeah. about my experience, so what happened to me wouldn't happen to other people right. by means of misdiagnosis and yeah. mistreatment. But then I realized that what happened to me has happened to millions of Americans. Sure. And so 
I knew that the book was not the end, but just the beginning of what was going to become a life mission. And and Peter and I started to build our relationship up again on a new shelf. And it's great. Good. It is. We've, we work together now where yeah. we did... Um, Happily divorced together. Oh yeah, that, that show went series. on for a while, right? Yeah, it was a couple three seasons, seasons. Three seasons. Yeah, yeah that's good. And uh, now we're doing the nanny musical for Broadway. The nanny musical. Yes, <laughs> that's crazy. It is. Well, it's, I think. I mean, everyone's excited. Of course, it's going to be great. Yeah, and uh, who's going to play the nanny? That is yet to be seen. But you haven't we've got Rachel anybody? Bloom to write the music from Crazy Ex. Sure, I've talked to her. She's been in here. Yeah, I bet everybody's been in a here. A lot of people have been here, or at the other house, or in the house. Oh, this yeah, is this a new is, house. This is a new house, and I was doing it in the house for a while, while they were working on this thing. Back area? Oh, uh, Well, I had to make this into a house. Like it was just a garage that had been made in the legal room by the people before me, and I got tagged. Mm. So I had to make this is a house now. There's a kitchen in there. Oh, Everything. that's great! I had great. to make it a house. Are your parents still living? Yes. So do they come in? And I don't know. They, they, my mother's. Co- they've both come, uh, but I had I, that, this wasn't ready yet, and I don't know. It's weird. My dad couldn't make. He had a hard time with the stairs. That's where the other bedroom is. Yeah. And uh, you know, I have no problem putting them up at a hotel down the street. Right, right. I don't need them in the house. Okay. <laughs> but then you do. Are that your thing. folks alive? Yes, thank God. Both of them. Yes, and still madly in love with each other. That is something. I know. Mine are not. Oh, they're not together even. No. Oh, I see. No, yeah, no. It would be. Uh, it would be more when did sad. They split, though? When when I was you... like thirty-five, it was. Oh, I was well. like, it was. I was older. Okay. It wasn't a, a young. Uh, you know, there was the. It was still a problem of figuring out who I should live with at thirty-five. But... <laughs> Truly? No. no. Come on. My well, somebody oh, once said to me, you know, gullible is the only word that's not in the dictionary, and I said, really? really? <laughs> so. Getting back to this, so the treatment, though, in terms of changing your diet, because that's sort of where we were going in yeah. incense and essential oils and healing things that a lot of that stuff, because I have my own feelings about it. I go in and out of that stuff. But it, sometimes it is about believing, right? Well, everything is about believing, of course. But you know, if some, you believe you're going to die, you probably will have less of a fighting chance than if you believe okay. you're going to live. I try to only eat organic. Sure. And, that makes sense. Oh, so that makes sense to you? Of course. Okay. And also, I detox my home. I don't spray for pesticides. Right, no, all that all makes sense. All of the cleaning yeah. products sure. and gardening is oh, yeah. organic. I'm, with, I'm on oh, board so with that. we're on the same page. Yeah, because that stuff is That's real. That's the cancer away. Right. But I'm just talking about like the air freshener. I wonder That's essential oils. Essential oils. I don't know if I no. believe how much of bacteria it's killing. But this not, that's just me. Oh, well, I, I mean, you know, I don't think that it's going to really do the job that, uh, you know, if you really clean right, surfaces sure. and no, things. No, I know. But yeah. I think that this is an airborne sure. issue that yeah. we're currently dealing with, yeah. with COVID-19. And uh, yeah, why not have some? Yeah, what's the downside? Yeah, there's no downside. It smells nice. Fuck it. It does exactly. Where do you stand on turmeric? I think it's wonderful. It's yeah. anti-inflammatory. Yeah, you I know. know I was what? married to an Indian. That was my second husband. Were you guys married? Yes. Why? No. I d- I didn't know if it was clear whether you were married or not. That oh, seemed oh. to be unclear. Well, we never filed with the state, oh. but we were wedded by a. Um, a Jewish gay minister and a... Um, oh, so you never filled out your paperwork, but you got married. 
Yes. And, you never and, registered. Right, with the state. Right. We ultimately decided that, you know, it was too much uh, for, we had, to, we were, to, we had corporations, it was too complicated and not necessary. What was that, what'd that guy do? Uh, well, he was a computer systems inventor, uh, and he was working on a, a health uh, program that was... So he was the guy you met that you want to have babies with? No. Oh, that was another guy. No, this was 20 years ago. Yeah. He's now having a baby with someone else. He now? was 16 years younger than me. Oh, okay. So he's now in his mid-40s. What'd that guy do? Uh, he became a writer, producer on oh, yeah? television. Yeah. And you guys dated for a while, 16 years younger Four than years. you? Four years. That was and fun, And the cancer right? was part of that journey. Yeah. And I'm very, very, very grateful. And nobody could ever say a bad word about him because he was really a doll. And Yo, you, you got the diagnosis when you were with him? Yes. Uh. And you know, he was a guy that when he was in college, he was dating a woman mm. whose sister was murdered. And she was really flipped out over it and pushed him away and left town. Mm. And he kind of made a little promise to himself that if ever he's in love with a woman who's going through a crisis, he will not let her push him away, but he will be there to help and support her. And I was the recipient of that promise. Nice. And that's something. How, good timing with how, your tragedy. How life works. With your tragic news. It's true. But you're good now. I am. I'm 20 years well this June. That's great. We're going to celebrate with my annual cabaret dinner cruise in New York Harbor for Cancer Schmansa. And we serve organic food, of course, because yes. we walk the talk. Are you vegetarian? No. Okay. No. I love vegetables, <laughs> and I love salad, and I eat a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. But I'm I'm not exclusively that. Right. Well, so the Indian. But what guy, I do well, eat okay. has to be very pristinely grown. Sure. Whether grass it be fed. animal protein, right. Or or well, grass fed, antibiotic free, mm-hmm. growth hormone yeah. free, yeah. pasture raised, not just grass fed. Right. Because you want to get the earth, and the animal right. eats a lot of earth. Yeah, you want them out there. Yes, living out the life. There, living the life that uh-huh. God intended them yeah. to live, or wild. Sure. Wild, yeah. like a wild pig. A wild fish. Wild fish. Oh, yeah, you got to eat wild fish. You should. I only eat wild fish. Good for you. Thank you very much. And but you don't know what you're getting at restaurants with the fish. You got to ask. Yeah, I always ask. Yeah. So you won't eat fish that's not wild at a no. restaurant? No. So rare that they have the wild fish. It's got to be seasonal. You got to ask every time because that's the only way they'll get the message. So wait, what part of New York do you grow up in? Uh, Flushing, Queens, just like the nanny. Flushing, Queens. I right. lived in Astoria, Queens. Oh, okay. Wow. Flushing, Queens, so where the World's Fair. Town. Yes. That where the big globe is and yes, whatever. Yes, the Unisphere. Yes, the, the dead fairgrounds. Yeah. This, well, the, the ghost of fun. I got married uh, the at the Terrace on the Park, which is still there. Uh-huh. And- uh, My parents went to that World's Fair. I did as well. You, you were a kid, though. Yeah, I was, I think, like- um, Maybe four or five or six. Are there slides of you at the fair? I think there was home movies. My dad liked taking home movies. And I remember when we went into uh, the uh, General Motors Pavilion (laughs) and we all were on in a like convertible Mm. 
GM car, and Exciting. they let me sit behind the wheel. Oh, you remember that? But it was on a track, you yeah. Know, but it was so much fun. You remember that part? I do. It's weird what you remember from. And four. we went to Howard Johnson's before. Of course, for, for ice brunch. cream. Brunch. Oh, for brunch. Yeah. Did you have ice cream? Probably. Probably. So, so like, what uh, was your whole family in Flushing? Um, no, I mean. I had very close, my dad's brother yeah. uh, and his whole family, my first cousins, they all lived in Howard Beach. Uh-huh. My grandmother lived in Rigo Park. Where'd she come from? Uh, well, she was born here. Yeah. But her husband, uh, Papa Joe, yeah. uh, came from Poland. Sure. Her mom came from Romania, Bubby Esta. Mm. Bubby Esta. And yeah. uh, my dad's parents were both immigrants. Yeah. And uh, I think from uh, Russia or where? I think they were. Ru- I'm not exactly. Have you done the genetic thing? Russian, German. You broke. I'm Ashkenazi, like ninety nine point nine percent. Yeah, all Jew. Just comes back Jew. Uh, <laughs> I never get invited on those celebrity shows where they do the. Uh, I did one. You should do. Oh, they did. Well, do maybe it. you had a more interesting past than me. No, I'm really I'm, nothing uh, came of it. I was just all Jew. But but the, but there was like um, but they nothing were nothing interesting. No no some oh. stuff. It was that one finding your roots. That one. Right right. They've I never did. invited me to do that. I think they're more. I think into, it's tricky with Jews. Um yeah. You know because like they turn off the channel. But <laughs> they no, may lose their no <laughs> no. That, it was actually three Jews on my episode. It was Terry Gross, Goldblum, Jeffrey Jeff Goldblum, yes, I know. and me. Oh. And the tricky thing about Jews is that the records, especially in Russia, they don't go far that far back because mm. a lot of them were destroyed. But there was like it was interesting. I, I, I definitely, of course, I learned stuff I didn't know. But I'm sure that there's. But stuff I think they're more into. Let's get the African American sure. yes. who somehow was related to Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, or something. All, they all were. Thomas uh, Jefferson <laughs> we, fucked. He was all prolific. Of his slaves. Yes. <laughs> but uh, so flushing, Jews. Yes, yes. And, you know, that song that Simon and Garfunkel wrote in My mm. Little Town? Oh, yeah. That was My Little Town. Were they writing about Flushing? Yeah. I love that song. It's so haunting. Our neighborhood. It's sad, man. It's a sad song. Yeah, yeah. Nothing but the dead and dying back in My Little Town. And Jerry Seinfeld came from the next town. We both went to Queens College. Did you know him? I did not. So, But, what? you know, Ray Romano was in my graduating class in high school oh, yeah. with Peter. Oh, with your Peter. Yeah. Yeah, I knew Ray back when he was doing comedy. His brother's a cop. Well, I didn't you know him You were older him than him then. or younger? Oh, you didn't no, know No, we were the same age. We're oh. the same age. We're in the same graduating class. You, uh, we're in the same graduation book. Uh-huh. And I didn't even know this. He uh-huh. knew it. And so when he came on to CBS to do Everybody Loves Raymond, I was already doing it on The Nanny. There we were on the same network from the same high school graduating class. But how could people not know you? I have to assume that you had the personality you have for like since you were five. (laughs) Probably. But (laughs) I, um, no, I think he knew. Yeah. So but you didn't know him. I didn't know him. He ah, wasn't as popular. Right. <laughs> you were popular. I was popular, but I like. I always enjoyed. I had three sets of friends. Yeah. The cool kids, which yeah. were by far were not the most interesting to yeah. me. The nerds, sure. who I love my nerds. Yeah. Because I'm an intellectual too. Yeah. And also the like the drama club kids. So that those were the three circles. Yeah, you could move freely throughout those. 
Yes, I, but, I was able to do that. But come on, there must be a story where you, you like, you know, you abandon some nerd friends to hang out with the popular friends or, or maybe, you know. You know, I think that when I was in junior high or as yeah. they call it, middle school now, yeah. um, there was a year that I was friends with two girls. And yeah. then the following year, yeah, one girl just didn't seem to mature at the same rate as me and the other girl did. Yeah. And we kind of stopped being friends with her. Yeah. Which, I don't know, I mean, you just keep developing, I guess. Of course, yeah. I mean, that's that's natural. But you never got into one of those situations where you were the popular one and then you had the the one that wasn't popular with a friend and you made some sort of choice. Ah. She kind of... Was saddened, and you you felt guilty about it for the rest of your life. Well, I feel guilty that you know <laughs> I felt like I outgrew Ellen. Yes, and uh, and I did feel what she bad about. I was never not nice. Right. I wasn't like Mean Girls. Right, right. Okay. It's okay. just yeah. you know you were never a meanie. No. Oh. In fact, I, you know, kind of no. had to learn how to. Say no and put myself into the equation. Oh, yeah. And Toughen up. Do what's good Boundaries. for me. Boundaries. Yes. Some codependent therapy. Codependent is something that I can slip into, but also being a caregiver to a fault of yeah. my own. Right. Oh, right. So you sacrifice your own sense of yes. self yeah. for the other. Right. Is that what happened with the Indian guy? No, no. The Indian guy. Um, I learned a lot from him. I learned a lot about myself because of him. Really? Like what? How's that happen? I, Was he a mystic? I didn't realize that I could still get my buttons pushed and that I would still <laughs> kind of blame myself for things. So you guys got in fights? Yes. And not the first year, that was bliss. Then the uh, second year was agony and ecstasy. Uh, and the third year was just agony, and then I called it quits. Huh. And but, I realized that this creature, you know, I, I, I traveled the journey. It was a real arc of my character. Mm. That in the beginning, I would think, oh, this guy, you know, he gets upset and he just walks out of the door. And then I wouldn't hear from him for like two weeks. And I'd be wow. like, is in knots worrying about him and beating myself up for saying this grown or person. doing that exactly, mm. and from that beginning point, which was very unhealthy for me, mm. um, I began to observe him like a creature, and I realized that he has, you know, he's got his own little problems, sure. and that doesn't really make him a good husband or communicator, mm. and. I gave him several tries each time he wanted to come back and I let him. But then I said, you know, I'm, this is beginning to impact my health and I'm a cancer survivor. So it's too stressful. So the, yeah. if we get into any kind of an argument, walking out is not an option. Working through is the only option. Yeah. Jews don't walk out. But then, you know, <laughs> he was Jewish. I know. So, um, <laughs> stay in it. We're going to yeah. move through this. Someone's going to cry, and then we apologize and eat something. He was, you know, kind of Hindu. We mm. had a Hindu priest, too. Yeah. But, um, you know, then I realized, okay, this isn't enough for me. 
That's funny that you, that you thought that your buttons couldn't be pushed after a certain point. Well, because I thought I had worked through some of the issues that I realized. Oh, yeah. And that was the opportunity. Sure. And I, I ended up making an appointment for us together to go see this shaman psychologist. Oh, come on. And yeah. he didn't want to go. Huh. But, so I went myself. To a shaman psychologist. Yes. Well, how is that different than I mean, I had done very psych. serious Jungian for over a decade. So, Oh, wait a minute. Now, so Jungian... What is that process? Is that well, dream it's, based? It they they do like to talk about the the dreams. Yeah, I just like how. But uh, also, you know, she was a very serious older woman psychoanalyst. So right, okay. you lie down on the couch. Right, right, right. But it's Jungian as opposed as opposed to Freudian. Yes. So you're dealing a lot with uh, dreams. Right. Rather uh, than visuals, you know, not trying to explain stuff based on like this is your father, this is your mother. You want to do this, you want to do that. Oh uh, well, we went through every member of my immediate family. Mm. So you did that for one ten years, one by one. Yeah. Yes. And did that help? Yes, because by the time I got to the shaman, mm. I was more spiritual, more of a Buddhist. I could talk shorthand to him because I had cut through a lot of the bullshit. Right. But you knew I still, exactly what you were there for. Yes, I just, you know, I needed to learn the tools yeah. to get you to fill yourself with you yeah. rather than from someone else, which is always ultimately going to disappoint you because they have their own baggage and their own issues. You can't control them. Exactly. You can only control you. So you have to fill Maybe, your voids with you. Right. And that's what I learned. From the shaman. Yes. Are you an ayahuasca person? No. I can't see that. I can't see you. No. I mean, I have a lot of friends that are, and I've, you know. And You're going to sit in a circle I'm out a, in the I woods? I probably speak for cannabis, of right. course. Right. Mm. But um, it's just uh, so sweaty and messy, and you run around, you throw up. I am scared. I'm a good girl. I am. <laughs> I I don't want to be in someone's <laughs> living room all night, and you know, and you know, I've I've tried a, a, some little things here and there over the course of my life, but yeah, you know, you get a little older, right? What little things have you risky. tried? I tried X a few times. That's loose. That's not terrible. You're not going to lose yourself on no, X. No, but you know, it's diminishing returns each yeah. time you do it. Right? Sure, right. And not so, healthy either. No. So that was the last time was the last time. Mm -hmm. And some people uh, like the mushrooms. Mushrooms a couple times they've a year. done. It's all right. I don't do it anymore though. Yeah. What for? What do you need it? No. Right. So you're you're in Flushing. You went to where'd you go to college? Uh, I went to Queens College. So you, you were really. I walked York. to college. <laughs> I was so codependent on my parents. Uh, I mean, I got into NYU too. Yeah. But I didn't want to schlep. What to this? An hour on the I train? Know, I'm telling 45 you. 45 minutes? I, I never backpacked through Europe. I never went away to sleepaway camp. What'd your dad do? What'd you, what was the business? Dad eventually found his way as a systems analyst. Huh. And. Uh, Ended up working the longest period of time as a civilian employee for the U.S. Navy. Wow. And he would analyze 
all the like uh, PXs where they sold stuff oh. for the mil- for the uh-huh. you know naval military. All of wow, that's right. very specific. And your mother worked too. Yeah, she worked around the corner uh, when I was young in a discount drugstore. And then once I moved out, she got a job. Or maybe when I, I don't remember whether she was worked there when I was still home, but then she worked in a bridal salon. Yeah. Then she became a floater in a uh, department store. Huh. That was after I moved out. And they stayed in the same house forever? No. Um <laughs> They, we were, were they in, a in small, a small two-bedroom apartment or house apartment. Then we went into a larger three-bedroom apartment. Oh, New York apartment. Literally. Then, um, then me and my sister moved down, and they bought a little um, townhouse yeah. in New Jersey. Yeah, what part of Jersey? In uh, where Stearns is now, I can't remember the name of Woodbridge. Oh, yes, yeah, nice. I I was only there a couple of times. They were coming out to California to be with me more. Yeah, so and they'd... we would, you know, go on vacations together. They live here now. They no, I wish oh. they live down in South Florida, oh. but I'm trying to get them to move here. Oh yeah, yeah. They're locked in down there. They live in a place with other old people. You know, they're have not, friends. Not a senior living, but a retirement community. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like fifty-five and up. Yeah, but I think that they're ready for senior living. Uh huh. But they're not. They're, they're they're fighting you on it. Well, it's a big move. They love their apartment. Yeah. They live in a condo. Yeah, and they still love each other. Thank God. Yeah. But I found a place not far from me, right on the beach. Yeah. And I said, you know, you don't have to make any decisions. Mm. Don't sell anything. Don't do anything. Mm. Just come out. We'll rent it for a month. They said we can do that. And I'll lease beautiful furniture for the month and we'll fill it up. And you'll just have the experience of living there for a month and see if it's something that you can be comfortable doing. Wait, that means- but now what? with Corona, I don't no. want to put them on a plane. Oh, so it's going to have to wait. All right. Well, it sounds like they're occupied and happy. Yes, it's just, you know, I'm helping them more and more with their doctors, and I'm always sending them vitamins, and I'm just not there. Is your you sister know? around? My sister lives in New York, and she's has her doctorate in nursing. Hmm. So, and her husband is a doctor, dermatologist. Uh huh. So, you know. So they're dealing with her too, right? They're dealing with the folks too, or are you the only one? She deals with them and talks to them all the time too. Mm. But I'm more into alternative stuff. Mm. I want them to build up their immune system. Sure. The cancer shrinks away. Yeah. And follow the Fran plan. So I'm always sending them stuff and telling them how to do it. Do they do it? Yeah, they're coming around. Did you grow up? How Jewish did you grow up? Um, very, very relaxed, not uh, very reformed, really, like uber reformed. Yeah. My dad has always felt that, um, you know, organized religion is the cause of all wars. Yeah. And he wasn't wrong. And uh, so he really liked identifying us with the history Mm -hmm. of the Jewish people. Yeah. And, uh, but uh, not necessarily all the rules and regulations. Right, sure. So, and I'm kind of the same way. Though Did my you get bar sister, mitzvah? No. 
None of that. None of that. But my sister had both her daughters bat mitzvahed. Sure. So she went a little bit the other way after she moved out. Not too she much. She liked though, right? uh, conservative. Being part of uh, a temple and community. I think so. So when did you start acting? Acting, uh, you know, like in, in by the time by the time I was in tenth grade, my first year of high school, I was in the school play. Yeah. And in eleventh grade, I started to uh, become part of um, uh, a special program, the theater career program. Mm. And so it was modeled off of performing arts, and we went for half a day just taking different theater classes, and that was where I met Peter. No, actually, I met him in tenth grade. He was the pianist for the show I was the, in. The husband, the yes. first husband, the yes. gay husband. Yes. You know him that long? Yes, fifteen. That's crazy. I know him much longer than I don't know him. Yeah. Okay. So, but we're soulmates. Yeah, it seems like it. I mean, like yeah, that's a long time. But when you so that's the only real training you did to to act was no I went to HB Studio in New York who was that and I uh, studied Bill there no. Herbert Burkoff Herbert Burkoff yes and I studied with guy? a couple of teachers there not him yeah he was I the don't big even guy know if he was alive I'm not sure you don't know even no. when you were there you yeah saw- I was a, I was a kid in high school and yeah you know I'd get on the train yeah with a girlfriend. To go to H- go Saturdays. What was it called? HB Studio. It's still there. Yeah. Still there in the And village. he was the guy. He's the guy. What's his name again? A- Herbert Burkhoff. But you never saw him? I don't recall seeing him, but I studied with two other teachers that were quite, uh, you know, like had quite a good reputation. When you were in high school? Yes. But then and after- And then I, I, by the time I was in my senior year, I was already Miss New York Teenager first runner-up. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously? And I only entered it because I thought it would help me to get an agent if I won. For acting? Yes. Uh-huh. So I was very ambitious at a very young age, and I did get an agent. Yeah? Still, and, how long did you and, stay with that agent? Uh, probably a couple of years. I freelanced in the beginning. That was kind of the way you could do that back then what kind of training were these who were these these uh people that that your teachers were were there other people we know in the in the class or did you come up with anybody i don't recall other people in the class how long did you were really there don't... a couple of years or what uh no i think i went for uh like two semesters yeah to to the professional acting yeah. class right yeah yeah like two semesters and then i started working professionally so you got the. I got an agent. Yeah. I got. I had pictures. Yeah. And I started going out, and I booked some commercials right away. I also did some extra work, which helped get me into the union. And then, and then just, I was off to the races. My first job was Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. Would you have like one or two lines in that? I was Connie. Yeah. And I was the one that said, "Are you as good in bed as you were on the dance uh, floor?" Yeah, we had a little scene. Yeah, yeah. My Is that dad, exciting? My dad worked in Brooklyn when we were shooting. Uh huh. And he came to visit me on his lunch break. Right. Yeah. And they said, "This is a closed set." And he said, "But I'm the star's father." The star's father. And they said, "All oh, right, this way, Mister Travolta." <laughs> and he just didn't bat an eye; he just uh, kept walking. Yeah. But what was the uh, what was American Hot Wax? How big was the part? Was that? Because I kind of remember that movie. It's about Alan Freed, right? Yes, that was a big part. I mean, I was a, a, a teenager. I was about to turn twenty when I started that movie. I was yeah. nineteen. Yeah, but almost twenty. 
And me and Jay Leno tested together, and we became Mookie and Cheryl. That was our, uh, I think that was his character's name. And uh, we were uh, Alan Freed's secretary and limo driver. Ah. And he, she, he and I were always, you know, like you fighting Jay? on camera. Yeah. Yeah, we had an antagonistic uh, relationship that ended up with us falling in love, of course. Really? And that was, he must have we been like one, so of, young. one of the only movies he did. He didn't do that many movies. No, we were but I, so I, I, young. I have early memories of that movie. I don't think I've seen it since it came out, and that's 1978. And we had a kissing scene. You and Jay? Yep. Uh, and that yeah. was, was that your first kissing scene? Uh, yes, it was. <laughs> you, yes, how'd that it go? Was. was it funny? Yeah, it was. He's a good kisser. Oh, yeah? Believe it or not. <laughs> At least he was then. Wow. Probably. I, I think it's like riding a bike. Is it? Is, once you're good, you're always good? I would imagine. And then I, like, it's just funny, these movies, because the, the early movies, because I remember them, because I, when I was growing up, you were just part of my brain, but I don't know that I could, I remembered you specifically, and like, the Hollywood Nights, that was like Robert Wool, right? Yes, and uh, Tony Danza. Yeah. And Michelle Pfeiffer. Really? Yes. And we were all playing teenagers then. Right, and they were kind of kooky. Not they were like. Well, a, it not, was a, one of those movies. They that weren't a gang, took place though. They all were, night. Oh, just okay. like you know. But it was a goofy thing, right? It wasn't like a. Uh, they weren't scary or anything. It was they no. weren't a gang. I remember someone no. pissing in the punch. Yeah, no, it was a it was a kind of like teen that. comedy. Right, that was the genre of, you know. American Graffiti, Diner, Animal House. Sure, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were making some money over those movies. Yeah. Yeah, I was lucky that, you know, I was there at the right time. Yeah. But what were you doing? Were you living in New York? Once I got American Hot Wax and they flew me out here, I came out to do the movie. I was booked to work 10 weeks. Yeah. But I never went back. That was it? Yeah. Because I started working and I and connected TV with an too? agent and manager and Peter came out too and we started <laughs> living together. And, but yeah, and you were dating in high school? Were you friends in high school? It was going on in high school. Well, we started out as friends. Yeah. We ended up as boyfriend and girlfriend. And was he your first? Uh, really, yes. Mm. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, I think there was some heavy making out with the boyfriend before that. Yeah. But no, Peter was really. Yeah. And I his. Yeah. And I think that we were very blessed because because we always had each other, we were never promiscuous and we never caught anything. Not quite. <laughs> Even though that was the period in the 70s and 80s, and sure. 80s mm. where we could have gotten into trouble. Yeah. So no, uh, so that was it. You stay, you locked in with him. Until we left each yeah, other. Right. Yeah. Then I was a little bit the animal let out of the zoo. Yeah. Yeah. How old was that? That was uh, like uh, 38. Oh, yeah. Something like that. That's a good time to be let out of the zoo. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was just. Ready to sow my oats, uh-huh. figure out who Fran was uh-huh. outside of the marriage and outside of being my parents' daughter. And but I remember that I think the first time I really remember you registering with me and being like, "I love her," was <laughs> that uh, was a Spinal Tap. Yeah, that was cool. Right. You know, I was doing Doctor Detroit then, and with Dan Aykroyd, and um, 
that was kind of a big budget movie for yeah. Universal. Yeah. And I and my agent said there's a low budget film, no script, mm-hmm. but a lot of really good comic actors. Yeah. And I think you should go up on it. It's Rob Reiner's first film directorial debut. Uh-huh. And so I met with him after shooting a night shoot yeah. on Dr. Detroit. So I was really kind of tired. And I sat in Rob's office, <laughs> and I think I was a little low-keyed or something. He said, you know, you're not what I was thinking of, but I find this very interesting. And he ended up giving me the part of Bobby Fleckman, and people always thought I was a real person in that movie. Yeah. Or I had known a person that I fashioned the character off of because people said there was a woman in the industry that seemed like me. But I actually didn't, you know, copy anybody. I just did my own thing. Yeah, well, it's sort of like we. there's a lot of you in her. Of course, always. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But but not that there's not a lot of me in her, uh but I wasn't doing an imitation of a real person. But, you know... I love live music, and mm-hmm. I go to a lot of concerts and things yeah. whenever I can. Yeah, And the greatest silver lining of that movie is how many famous recording artists are into me. Oh, yeah? And that movie. Oh, yeah. They all carry it on their tours. Oh, really? It's almost like a superstition not to. <laughs> to have a, a copy of Spinal, Spinal Tap? Tap, yeah. So you're sort of like a cult bus. hero? I am. I mean, I've had... You know, like Chris Martin uh-huh. come over to my table and profess his love for me. No kidding. I've been in an elevator with Bruce Springsteen mm. and saying, you know, I, I don't want to bother you. And it's like, Bruce, you could bother me <laughs> any time of the day or night. But uh, They all love Bobby, huh? I think so. <laughs> it's, really, it's really lucky for me. I mean... That movie um, was music-centric, as was Saturday Night Fever, as was American Hot Wax. And even Dr. Detroit, you know, had James Brown in it. Right, yeah, Dan liked to use all those people. Yes, yes. He honored the uh, the, uh, R&B and blues people. R&B, yeah, totally. Yeah. And uh, So you're kind of a music-based actress for a while, yeah. Yes, in a way. and I like that because I love music, love it. But there, but I think somehow or another, you you became defined as you you are as a type. You're you're singular, and you're kind of a comedic persona yes, in and sure. of yourself. Absolutely. And you know that started very to be, distinctive yeah. persona. But it's you. But you never did stand up. It's huh? me with a lot of technique and talent. Yeah. I mean, sure, of course, <laughs> it's not an like, accident. Everything is a choice. Right. Including making Mr. Sheffield, you know, British. You know I created that show, right? Yeah. So all of her is in me, but not all of me is in her. Of course. Yeah. But the, but you never did stand-up? I do it now. Oh, really? Yeah. Now I do stand-up. I didn't then. Um, because I was working as an actress, and I, I didn't want to play that circuit and have to be up late, have to compete for Mike yeah. time and... It wasn't my thing. Now that I'm famous, I can fill a room. I don't have to. So where do you go do stand up? Yeah, things. yeah. You do a whole set. You got yeah. an hour that yeah. you do. I, I have about fifty minutes, but I do a schmoozing with Fran show. So after that, I do a little one-on-one interview with myself, and uh, and Peter comes out. Who writes the bits? You? Yeah, me and and some of my 
writer besties that have written for me over, over, on and TV off stuff? throughout the course of time. Yeah. Yeah, we'll come up with stuff. It's all based off of my life, though. Nothing's made up. Who goes? Well, it depends. You know, sometimes it's whoever is in the area. Sometimes it's a huge gay group. You know, I'm a gay icon. Yeah. And sometimes it's, you know, I mean, just like... When did you know you were a gay icon? When did that happen? I was told during the nanny. There was a lot of, you know, like drag imitators <laughs> doing of me. The, doing you? And yeah. they used to have a, um, a parade called Wigstock. And oh, yeah, I remember that. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they do nanny viewing parties at the gay bars. Mm. And people on, on the night that we aired... They would all go. It's, it was a very big show for a lot of people for a long time. Yeah, it was like it a defining show. Yeah, it's huge with the millennials today. Really, they go back where they see it. It's in syndication. Are it's they in see syndication. It on it's on right now. It's on um, Cozy as well as Hulu. Do you still own it or have a piece of it? Sure. Yeah. You don't give that up, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's us and our parent company, Sony. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, that's Peter's and my baby. Yeah. We gave birth to it. We nurtured it. We took care of it. But you did, you did like, some TV before, right? I mean, but not like that. Well, that was, that was it, just I here did and there. Some t I did a short-lived series called Princesses, Yeah. also for CBS. I did a lot of pilots that didn't go anywhere. And the last pilot that I did, I thought to myself, I'm either going to get myself on the inside in a big way or get yeah. out of this business. Yeah. Because I can't keep working for people that I feel are not as talented as I am at when writing and producing. did you have producing. that realization? Uh, before the nanny, because yeah. that's what right. I manifested. Right. I gave myself five years yeah. to make that happen. Yeah. And one day, I, after I did this short-lived series for CBS. Princesses. Yes. And that was with Twiggy, the one and only, as yes. well as Julie Haggerty. And after that, I did another pilot for them, which was like, a, I think, a spoof on soap operas, a nighttime, you know, yeah. single cam. That didn't get picked up either. Then I thought, well, now I'm going to have to wait a few months before pilot season comes around again to see what's going to happen. Yeah. And Peter and I were breaking stories, coming up with ideas to try and pitch, but not the nanny. Had you guys, right, okay, well, how long had you been working on writing together? Like, how long were you a, a team in, try, in trying to develop stuff? Yeah, it was, it was in that window once I kind of said, it, this is not going to work for me. I'll, I'll find another way to make a living. Oh, because, oh, just by going out in auditioning. And then we started... He and I started brainstorming and pitching and coming up with series ideas and things like that. But when I ran into the head of CBS, it was on a plane to Europe. I cashed in some frequent flyer miles, and I ended up going to visit- Who was the president then? Jeff Sagansky. Uh-huh. And I was going to visit Twiggy. Oh, yeah. And she was busy, so I was hanging out with her little 12-year-old daughter schlepping her all over London. Uh-huh. Because I wasn't comfortable being by myself in a big city. I I still struggle with being by myself out in the world, but I push myself to do it. Was that from like a PTSD thing? Uh, 
it's probably a perfect storm of a lot of things. Uh, I, I, maybe I have a like mild agoraphobia. I don't know, but um, or and I was a victim of a violent crime. Horrible. And I am famous. So I don't know. I think it's that's why I'm now. I'm I'm, I'm going to get a big dog. Yeah. Yeah, so like I a, can feel comfortable because I like distance walking. A service dog? Yes. That you can bring on the plane? Yes. How did you, like, How? what was the the process of, you know, because that violent crime, which was awful, that you've talked about before. Yes, and I've written about it. Yeah. I did a chapter in my first book called Bad Things Happen to Good People, and I, I really can't tell you how many people asked me to sign that chapter. Of course. Because a lot of people, it happens to a lot of people. They don't talk about it. They don't know how to talk about it. They don't want people to look at them weird or to think of them differently. So when somebody speaks their heart and their mind about the experience, it's, it's a, comforting. Oh my God. They feel less alone. They feel seen. They feel like I'm not the only one. It happened to a famous person. And if it could happen, and if she could get on with her life. Well, what, what did you do? Well, what happened exactly? Oh, well, I we were home. It was me, Peter, and Judy. Who's Judy? My our best friend of many many years. Yeah, and uh, we were just having dinner. Yeah, the dog was barking. I didn't know why. I went on the intercom. Mm. Nobody answered, of course. Yeah, but uh, they were actually working at breaking down the front door. It was two brothers. Jeez, and the rapist was on parole. Yeah, so. You know, it was like an hour, an hour and a half of pure horror. Yeah. And uh, the good news is that they apprehended him, and now he's in jail for like two consecutive lifetimes. Wow. Well, that's good. At least yes, there's justice. closure. What about the other guy? He went to jail too, but yeah. he didn't. he didn't get the rape charges. Right. He just filled up our car and their car with everything. Hmm. That's terrible. Yeah. It was so, awful. But, like you know that, and that happened before the nanny. I mean, this happened before, yeah. and and what when was... the nanny started, there was one of those tabloid TV shows that uh, put it out a segment like it had just happened. Yeah. And people were calling my parents. What is this? What happened? And you hadn't talked about it publicly at that um, point. Well, I wasn't really famous until mm. the nanny. Oh, I see. It so never they, really oh, came up. Right. And it was in maybe my first or second year of the nanny, I did write the book. Yeah. But whenever this came out, and maybe maybe when the book came out, that was with, when, when they decided to dig in and see if they could go to the prison. Uh -huh. and talk, ugh, It was terrible. But, and... Nothing really came of it, but I that was when I did experience post-traumatic stress. So you're saying that the PTSD didn't really kick in until after it became public? Yes. And, and then all because of a sudden... Because I didn't really deal with my pain. Yeah, the, what did you do? I just carried after that. on. You did? Yeah. I mean, we had to go to court. Yeah. We were witnesses. Yeah. I was very instrumental because in helping the... Um, the police artist come up with a sketch of the guy. And um, that looked like he had posed for it. Oh, yeah. 
So you, you really remembered, huh? I've, yes, I made a point of remembering. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, and I kind of have a photographic memory, though it's beginning to fade a little bit now with age. Yeah, sometimes that's okay. <laughs> so, well, so what happened once it started? It really hit you. You were lucky to be in therapy. I and gotta you like just, move forward a little bit. Do whatever you want. I have to say, I don't know if anyone's ever said this, but this chair could be more comfortable. All right, I'll get some. <laughs> the president sat on that Maybe chair. Maybe a back thing. All right. I have a nice picture with um, Obama. Yeah. Yeah, well, he was he was helpful in um, me passing a bill by unanimous consent, which means all 100 senators said yes, Frank. Which bill? The Gynecologic Cancer Education and Awareness Act, the first of its kind in U.S. history. And I was written up twice in the congressional record. Well, you worked for the president. You worked for the, weren't you a uh, diplomat of sorts? Uh, yes, I have a vetted position of public diplomacy envoy for health issues yeah. and was sent to- For women's health issues, right, specifically? Uh, you know, it, uh, it, people always assume that, yeah. but I spoke to men and women in our military as well as our allied nations mm. and- it was not usual. It was sometimes it was all women, but and people assume that because it was a gynecologic uh, bill that got passed that wow. I didn't actually initiate, but I brought it home. Yeah, it's amazing, really, how sometimes the best gifts come in the ugliest packages. You just don't know what's going to come from the depths of despair, but you got to just play the hand that's been dealt you. That's I think why I was able to speak, be a public speaker, because, because of the I surviving. Had, yeah, I, the more I talked, the more I started to formulate a vision of what I think needed to be done. Um, and what did you do internationally? Well, I, I spoke yeah. ever, uh, wherever I went. Yeah, That's basically it. Talking to everybody. About your that experience. Was, it was organized. Yeah. Uh, not just my experience, but take control of your body. Mm. You know, I was misdiagnosed for two years. Sure. You have to transform from patient into medical consumer. Mm. You have to know what the early warning whispers of the cancers that may affect you are and the tests that are available. Because yeah. all too often, they're not even on the menu. Right. So, you know, that's my goal is to pivot the way people think about their health. Yeah. To become more in charge, better yeah. partners with their physicians. Mm. And to ultimately and most significantly change their lifestyle yeah, to a more a... toxic-free, carcinogen-free, eco-friendly. Even just eat better. You must start eat somewhere. Better. Give up on all industrial farm foods. Uh, They're not sugar. serving you what about sugar? or the planet well. Well, definitely not highly refined, processed, mm. sugary uh, foods. Definitely not. Sugar, corn couple. syrup, sweetener. Yeah, yeah. I had some cookies. None of that. Last night I had two cookies. Two so, cookies yeah. isn't going to kill you. You no, know, don't make the big perfect the enemy of the good. I know. Uh, you're true. So now, all right. So this the show you're on now, I've talked to Adam Pauly. That's nice. He's talked, my son on the show. Yeah, I talked to Dan. Oh, Dan uh, Levy. Levy, mm -hmm. who I knew uh, from when he was uh, younger, a comedian. Stand up, uh -huh. Yeah. And it seems like it seems like it's a good role for you. Yes, I think you know for those that love the nanny, it's kind of that character twenty five years later. <laughs> and did you meet his real mom? I did. I've met both his parents. They're very sweet people. <laughs> They're, we're not exactly doing them, right. even though they inspired the role. I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And you're uh, doing what you do. Exactly. Otherwise, why hire me? Right. But like over the course of this, I mean, you've done like a lot of movies, episodic television, your own show. And but you also did a talk show for a while. I did. Well, that was almost like an experiment. I was given 16 hours of airtime. Yeah. But that's really not enough to get a daytime. Did you like it, though? I did like it. Could you see yourself doing that or what? Yes, I liked it. I like learning. I like talking to people. I'm interested in people. Um, you know, I I I liked it. Yes, okay. I did like it. But you know, uh, it it you have to have it. You have to have a, a network behind you. Sure. That's going to give you a good year, like they gave Ellen. Sure, get planted. So it seems like you got a little hard to change daytime viewing habits. Right, you got a little. Uh, you're a little upset about that. It seems. No, I'm not upset. You would have liked a bigger shot with that particular. I would have liked to have been on NBC, mm. and the producers I was working for jumped to Fox because they wanted it too, and that's where their other show was, Wendy Williams. Right. Uh-uh. So you feel like you got kind of lost in the shuffle or not given the good shot? Well, I, I, you know, I think the judgment was off and we paid the price for it. Right. But then, you know, wow. Happily Divorced started right after that. And that was and the that three was seasons. Great. Yeah, yeah, you and Peter, three yes, seasons. Yes, loosely based on our relationship. Mm. And it was wonderful. That's enough, isn't it? It's not, it's not enough for syndication necessarily, but three seasons is enough. I'm in the show right now. Four se- we're in the fourth season. It's it's like enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to do. I mean, you did a lot. Like the nanny, you did like 150 episodes. But that was a different time too. It was like syndication meant something. Yes. I right? mean, it still means something if you're uh, on network television. No, no, I know, I know, but like, the, like the the life of a show. Like, if you've got a hundred episodes to sell, or, right? Or like a hundred and forty-five, right, hundred fifty. Like yeah, I mean, you know that that has a, a long life ahead of it. Totally, and if and a, if it's a beloved show, yeah, yes. people loved it, and yes. to this day you make money. Yes, off of that thing. Everybody loves the nanny. Everybody loves you, Fran. <laughs> well, <laughs> but so. Are are you in love? Do you have uh, a man now? No, I, I'm not propositioning. I'm I'm just asking. <laughs> I um, I, I I only have a friend with benefits right now and a gay ex husband. Yeah. So those are you know, friend with benefits. See that's it. See that's the benefit of like I'm I'm 56. I have no children. Like there's a point you get to. I think in your and life. Not married. No. Oh. I've been married twice. I have no kids because I was a bit of an asshole. It takes a certain type of an asshole to have two wives and no children. I'm not, I'm not that guy. But <laughs> but I'm happy I don't have kids. But the thing I was going to say is that you do, and it sounds like this is sort of where your head's at too, you get to a certain point in your life uh, around self-ownership where you're like, I don't owe anybody my life. And, and you know, why not? You know, if I'm not, if I'm doing something that's not making me happy, why am I doing that? Oh no, you you got right? it. yes, and I I uh, you know I've I've thought to myself I'm I feel like I'm working too hard I'm away from home too much yeah just in dealing with this show oh right and I'm you know I'm I'm kind of uh, wondering the same question but I'm in it I 
committed to it. Oh, you mean just the time it's taking to to promote the show? Yeah, because yeah. you know, I mean, um, a I'm a little older than you, but yeah. we're um, not that much. No, not that much. So I think you know, it's precious time. time. Yes. Yeah, and it's diminishing returns. Uh, and you don't want to be filled with dread. Well. Dread for what? That I have to go to work or? Well, no, I mean like, you know, like uh, maybe I'm just projecting, but like when I have things I got to do that I may not want to do, you know, going to work's one thing, mm-hmm. but like today, like, you know, like who's this guy? Oh. We get No, no, actually. <laughs> We're going to talk to who? I Where was is the it? one that, because this, we circled back to you oh. because I couldn't get out here when it, they, it was originally presented to me and, uh. Then I knew that I was doing a bunch of shows at Universal. Oh, yeah. And I said, and I was the one that said, what about that garage podcast? <laughs> well, maybe we should, since we're out that yeah. way. We're, in, we're, we're I nearby. I not do it. Yeah. I just needed to not go from Malibu to Glendale oh. uh, without having at least a few other things along the way to make it all make sense. Sure. Well, I'm so glad you did. But how, how long you lived in Malibu? 23 years. So you didn't get, you made it through the fire, huh? I did. We're, yeah, I'm in South Malibu and I I um, was very lucky. We all had to evacuate. Yeah, you had a house on, a, on some land out there, do you? Is that what uh, you have? No, I'm on the ocean. That's yeah. my land. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's a huge, great view. Oh, and it's that's beautiful. Oh, it's it's its own, it's own world. It's you don't wilderness. To... Yeah. I mean, I see huge wild mammals like, all the time. Like what? Seals, really? dolphins, whales. You see whales, flocks of pelicans. Really? I mean, whales. It's just remarkable. You see whales? I do. It's a rare sighting for me, <laughs> uh, but I do see them. Okay. All right. Well, say hello to them for me. Yes, I will. It's a, always a religious experience. I can't, I can't imagine it. I've never seen a whale. I like and I, looking and at I'm fish, with huh? you. You know, I mean, at this point, I, I love my space. I love my house. Mm. I love my time with me. Yeah. And so I like, um, you know, companionship and f- having my yeah. friends and right. My logical friends right. versus biological family. Right. My sure. logical family. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. The but, ones you choose. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, but, yeah. you know, it's uh, it's not a, uh, a, a, a closed issue, mm. but I am relishing the fact that I'm finally at a place in my life where I'm happy to be alone. Yeah. I find that I consider that major growth on my part. Look, man, if you're like uh, a person that has has had issues with boundaries or or codependency or or over caregiving, it just becomes like a relief at some point once you have a certain amount of self-acceptance to be like, I don't fucking need (laughs) to deal with that shit. Exactly. Right? And I knew when I was getting better because people would... You know, I surrounded myself with, you know, basket cases. Yeah. I needed to be needed. Right. You're addicted to people. And now I, I don't have that need anymore. And when people would start telling me the problem, once I was able to realize that um, it was my way of avoiding my own problems by giving myself a false sense of being 
useful. together. Yeah, and, and you know, like right. having my shit together. Right, being and, there for other people. Yeah, and mm. once I was able to finally admit that I'm as fucked up as you are, I tell people, you know, all I can tell you is find yourself a really good shrink uh, and lay on that couch. Yeah, and you know, sure, figure it out. Who are you? Yeah, go for the jugular. Yeah, why are you fucked up? What's happening? Yeah. Why aren't you? What are you buying into? Yeah. What's the bill of goods? Right, but you used to surround yourself with people because of this? Like you had people in your life that were in trouble or in, had problems or I were think, high maintenance? Yeah, I think so. I relationships. Think I, I remember making concerted efforts to um, meet and make friends with people that didn't need me that I could learn from. Ah. Yeah, is it? Did it feel weird at first? Like, how can you not need me? <laughs> <laughs> no, because at that point I was, I I was enjoying learning from someone else. Uh-huh. Like, I love when I'm in the company of an alpha female. Yeah, because it just for me it's like I, I you know I'm I I take the ride. Yeah, they're always gonna ask the right questions, make the good reservation, figure out the best restaurant. <laughs> it's all good. I'm totally trusting of my alpha female girlfriends. <laughs> there you go. A shout out to alpha chicks. Yay. Well, I'm glad you're doing well. And it was Thank nice talking you. to you. I'm glad we talked. Ah, it's lovely talking to you. You're and, uh, delightful. You are too. And good luck with the show. I hope they uh, make more. Thank you. Brand Drescher. That voice, right? That laugh, right? Indebted is on NBC Thursdays, 9.30, 8.30 Central. Lovely conversation. I liked, I'm like. i glad she stopped by. I'm now going to uh, play a sad tribute in a very brief way to the great John Prine. And then I'm going to go try to get my cat in a box. Happy Pesach. Rest in peace, John Prine. Boomer lives.